Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast and mine, FNO InsureTech. This is your With, favorite podcast, Rob? It's my favorite podcast. Yeah, I have to admit that. That Yeah. How about I you, enjoy Lee? it. I enjoy it. In Lee, fact, it actually, it, actually has, it actually has five stars on uh, iTunes. It podcast. does. It does. And not because uh, I'm the only person that traded it over and over and over again. No. So Truth that means somebody else enjoys it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Thank you out there uh, for rating us. And, and we'd like you to continue to do that if you would. Um, that gentleman <laughs> is my co-host, Mr. Lee Boyd, who today Hi, is in Waco, Texas. Yes? I am. And you're in Sacramento. I am. Waco, Texas is the national headquarters of 470 claims where we work and lee is in uh our our uh headquarters today and i am in my home office in sacramento california you know and waco is where dr pepper was founded i do know that you've mentioned on another podcast so does that mean we're running out of things to talk about no it's just really a very important thing to know i wanted to make sure everyone knew it, it you, it's not the first it's also the home of magnolia yeah, but Dr. Pepper is pretty big. I think I that's that's a good question. Which brand is bigger, Magnolia or Dr. Pepper? That is a good question. My wife would say Dr. Pepper, uh, but I think the general public would say Magnolia. Kyle and in fact, would say, yeah. yeah, you know, Magnolia actually has a very interesting uh, thing going on this weekend. They have a silo marathon and half marathon race. Will you be participating? I will be. I'll be doing the half marathon. It's one of the best half marathons uh, out there. I actually, I, I love this one. This would be the second year of it. Wow. For those of you yeah. who don't know, my co-host here, Mr. Lee Boyd, is a marathoner, half marathoner, triathlete, all around yeah. healthy guy. And, yeah. Um, you, so you've also walked on a treadmill before. I I have, yeah, three times. And uh <laughs> I, but I try to stay away from it because I get sweaty every time. and that's Yeah, it gets all sticky. I yeah, don't understand. Yeah. You got to shower afterwards. It's a lot of trouble. But none of that has to do with today's episode. Nothing. Nothing. Although, what is today's episode? Today, today we have a, uh, a, an alumni of Y Combinator, not our first alumni of Y Combinator. This is uh, Mr. Cameron MacArthur, who is the CEO, I believe, and co-founder of AI insurance. Yeah, AI insurance is a, a very interesting product. It's a claims management software company, and it's uh, it's designed for smaller insurance companies. Uh, they really set out to do a, a one avenue to really start working with the data, and uh, you know it, it's it's morphed into more than that. So I'm excited to hear about what all Cameron has to talk about, and you know what's on the roadmap. Yeah, we met Cameron um, coincidentally, and we'll tell that story during the episode, but um, he's a terrific young man who's really smart and very dedicated to bringing um, an, uh, uh, a solution to a difficult problem for TPAs right. and insurers and, um, and other people in our space. Yeah, very, very good, good stuff today. So without further ado... And no more babble. Obviously. Here is our interview with Cameron MacArthur from AI Insurance. 
Hey there, everybody. Welcome to our interview with Cameron MacArthur from AI Insurance. How are you doing, Cameron? Doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Glad you could be on today. Uh, we're, we're, we're thrilled to have you with us. And um, before we get into it, I just want to provide, I, I just want to say that you kind of were connected to us through my son, right? Yes. And how did that happen? Uh, he and I both went through Y Combinator together, which is an accelerator program for software. Well, not actually exclusively software startups, but startups out of Silicon Valley. But you guys have in common that you're both SaaS companies, yes? Yes. And so um, I want to just put a shout out to Alex Beller for setting this up, and we appreciate that. And um, so let's let's uh, let's jump right in. Let's talk about AI insurance, and we like to start by giving um, our guests the opportunity to do their elevator speech or take a couple of minutes and talk about your company. Yeah, great. Um, the, the nutshell is that we build claims management software, and it's modern cloud-based claims management software specifically directed at TPAs, claims management companies, and small captives and risk retention groups that manage their own claims. Um, this is because we found that there was a huge part of this market that was really underserved. You know, if you're a you know if you're nationwide or Geico, you can pay a million dollars a month for Guidewire, but if you're a small captive or a small TPA or even a large TPA, you know a million dollars a month isn't even in your stratosphere, and these old softwares, you know, there are a bunch of claims management softwares out there, but because of their age, you know, they're 25 years old, 35 years old. So they're actually built in a way that is just not very applicable to a bunch of different kinds of books of insurance. And the technology stack that they have is just candidly outdated with what's available in 2019. Sure. Um, so we're all about bringing claims management to the cloud at a really affordable price and letting everybody involved in a claim see all the information associated with it and do their part regardless of where they are in the world. And then the AI piece of our AI insurance um, comes into our long-term goals is we want to move the claims management behavior and process away from just you know saving PDFs into folders and into starting to actually track quantifiable data points. And when cool. you start to do that as an organization, you can then learn from those data points, apply artificial intelligence and machine learning, and start to unlock some really cool predictive analytic capabilities. Cool. We'll, and we'll talk about data some more a little bit later. But I want to just dig into your history a little bit. For those of you who haven't met Cameron, Cameron is, it's fair to say, a young man. And um, <laughs> You don't hear a lot of young men who are in their 20s talking about building claim management systems um, unless maybe they grew up in something that's relevant to that. But but that's not really the case with you, right? So my question is, is how do you get from, uh, I, I think you're, you're from the Northeast, correct? How do you get from there to where you are today? How did that happen? Yeah, it's a, a good question and one that I get a lot, you know, like, hey, Cameron, you're 25. Why are you building insurance software? Um, 
and I, I think for me, it's it's really that I've always been a problem solver, and I sort of stumbled into this space. I was working as a cognitive software engineer at IBM in Boston. There's a lot of healthcare up there and, and health insurance. And as a result of the large hospital systems, a lot of medical malpractice insurance. Um, so I got exposure to the space through a friend and basically was blown away at how much information was moving through this insurance market. And even, you know, at that point, I was just looking at MedMal, which is less than half a percent of insurance and just how underutilized the data was. And, you know, I started digging, seeing if I could be a little bit more effective with this data. And I think if you're someone who likes solving problems, it's hard not to get excited about the insurance space, you know, not to knock on, on the insurance no, space, no, you no, know, no. every, every industry has sure. issues, but we're talking about, you know, a $5 trillion market that really hasn't changed too much since the first insurance company was opened like 352 years ago. Okay. So go on. So you, you, I mean, you basically graduated high school 15 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, yeah, so, can, so you're, you're, you're a young man, you're, you're, you're working at IBM and, and what, what do you see? Something had to, there had to be a moment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can walk you through that. So I, I met a friend of a friend who worked at a medical malpractice insurer and they were a data analyst there. And, you know, as a, a nerd, I was like, that's cool. What kind of data do you analyze? And I learned that they you know, were analyzing this medical malpractice insurance claims data to provide averages. So a hospital would say, you know, we had 20 cases where a doctor sewed someone up and left a sponge inside them. Is that a lot? And they would say, no, the national average is 50. So you're doing great, right? Or the national average is two. So you have a lot of work to do. And hearing about how that, that data was used was incredibly eye-opening to me. Because I was like, man, there's hundreds of thousands of medical malpractice claims. You could learn something really valuable about this claims that about these claims that are far and away, you know, more significant than just whether or not you're slightly better than the national average, right? So I started to look independently at if I could predict what a claim would cost, like set a perfect reserve, predict a perfect indemnity payment using uh, what's called the NPDB, cool. the National Practitioners Database. Um, and it's just for medical malpractice claims. But the long short of it was that using some pretty basic machine learning, I was able to predict indemnity payments with about 75% accuracy into five different pricing buckets. Um, again, as, as more of an independent kind of engineering project than anyone who knew anything about insurance. But then I started reaching out to some insurance companies and basically said, hey, is this any good? Is this useful? Some very large insurers took interest, you know, brought me into some meetings and kind of validated, oh, there's something really valuable here. And that was what kind of kicked off the whole, you know, that's what really got the ball rolling. So I applied to Y Combinator, that accelerator program that your son Alex went through, um, got some funding and, and started building out this product. And we were originally just predicting indemnity payments, right? Setting perfect reserves, predicting what a claim would cost, and very quickly learned that it was a cart before mm, the horse issue. Sure. So as we worked with more and more captives and risk retention groups, which is where we started, because in medical malpractice, about half the space is handled through the risk retention group market. Um, it was just very eye-opening that there were so many small insurers and even medium-sized and even large-sized insurers that didn't have that data. 
you know, we were trying to apply machine learning and even people with systems, you know, people that had database-backed claims management, the system was 35 years old. So it was never built with machine learning in mind. And folks without systems were just using PDFs, you know, maybe Excel spreadsheets at best. So it was, I think, carp before the horse is the best way to describe it. We realized, you know, there's this hair on fire problem that needs to be solved before you can start looking at really cool stuff like machine learning and artificial intelligence. And, you know, when you see something like that, you kind of can't help but solve it. And just so our insurance um, side understands, this is, you're not talking about a theory anymore. I mean, you have customers, you have a product, it works, and, and people are using it every day, correct? Yes. Congratulations. That's great. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a very good thing. Living, living the dream as a startup founder. <laughs> in, in your garage? Not, not quite a garage. Okay. All right. Well, I think it's interesting how, how you, you pivoted, right? You, you saw a need that you thought would work and then you realized, wait, the industry needs something else. And very quickly you pivoted your market uh, or your, your, your strategy. And that's, that's very difficult, right? Was there any, any difficultness to that? Yeah, it's definitely painful more around, you know, there's, there's often a disparity between what people want and what they need, right? Like when you're selling artificial intelligence and machine learning, especially in 2019, that's very sexy, right? Everyone wants AI on their stuff. Um, and what's less exciting is to tell people, hey, what you really need is is workflow software mm-hmm. to yes. you know right. track data points. Um, and I think one of the hard truths is that you know everyone it, it would be nice to just be able to pay money, plug in cool machine learning, and get all these benefits. But you kind of you know you get out what you put in, right? You need to do basic data tracking architecture workflow work before you can get all the cool machine learning benefits. Um, and you see this in under other industries, right? Like the reason that Google is able to dominate everywhere they go is because they have this whole architecture that they've built where they track incredibly high fidelity data. Mm-hmm. Right. And a similar sort of thing happened in the, the credit space, right? Right. Modeling risk and deciding who to give a loan to um, used to be a very you know, personalized, you know, sit down with a banker and chat with them before they decide to give you a loan. And now it's kind of all been mm-hmm. automated. Um, but that process wasn't easy. There was a prerequisite there mm-hmm. of getting this data. So the, the pain was less about the switch. You know, we kind of equate it to selling solar roofs. And then you go to put someone's solar roof on and their house is on fire. And all the, all the houses on the street are on fire. And so it's not that it's, you know, painful to go put out these fires. Um, it just can be hard to, to educate people on, you know, this isn't a quick, easy fix where you just get to pay money and plug in AI and like, now you get AI, uh, because I I think anyone that sells you that is going to disappoint you. Right. Um, It's really about building your organization such that you're a data oriented and quantitative focused organization. And that unlocks your whole, you know, system to all the potentials of what you can do with well-structured data. So is that the problem you're solving? You're solving uh, a data problem that people's 
people's data is unorganized and you're unable to get to it a lot of times. So your solution allows it to be organized and accessible. Yeah. I, I, I really for a lot of companies, it allows it to be present. Okay. Like we're, there are a lot of, you know, a good example of this is if you think about someone like you know, Guidewire, Ventive, your big claims management database backed companies, you know, Guidewire has 350 customers, Ventive has like 600. I think all those companies together cover about 1500 companies, right? And there's 32,000 insurers globally. So there's a mass, you know, there's thousands of insurers, you know, and, and there's something like 16,000 TPAs in the US alone, right? Thousands of TPAs that don't have a database-backed claims management system. So when they get information, it's as a PDF from a lawyer that gets saved to a folder. And so everything that they learn about a claim is in their head. And that information is not being quantified or stored anywhere, right? Yeah. Um, and that's where you get this, this kind of paradigm of the longer someone's been a TPA or the longer they've been a claims manager or the longer they've been an insurance company, the more experience they have in predicting where claims are going to go or seeing where they're going to go. Um, and there's kind of an inherent ceiling on that model because there's only so many years that anyone could be a claims manager. Um, and, you know, it really can't compete when you look at if you start to quantify those things that you know inherently in your head, right? That sort of like you guys know better than anybody, right? You read a claim and you're like, oh, you know, sure. I, I've seen sure. some things about this before and I know where this is going to go. Yeah. It's about taking that and putting it down as actual data points so that you can see the bigger picture and learn at scale from hundreds of thousands of claims. So, so what type of claim is it you're after? Is it all claims or is it property, auto, health insurance? What, what is your target market? Everything inside property and casualty right now. Um, definitely not touching health insurance. Uh, it's a pretty crazy space over on the health insurance side. Yeah. Um, incredibly complex and would really have to be a whole different product. Um, within property and casualty, actually, we're completely data agnostic. So... We have everything from medical malpractice, long-term care, you know, auto, home. It's, it's all fair game. Um, because at the end of the day, we build our system is data agnostic to the TPA or to the insurance company. Um, so you as a company decide what information is valuable to be tracked. And we, we are obviously have some global taxonomies for certain books of business, you know, where there's already a data standard for you should track these things about a claim. Um, but even within that con that context, we allow companies to say, we want to know these 10 pieces of information or these hundred pieces of information about every claim. And because of that, you know, when you look at it through that lens, everything within property and casualty can really be pretty well handled as long as you're dynamic about the information that you're tracking. So, so whenever you're tracking this information, you talked earlier about PDFs being hidden in folders. What do you do that's different? Is it capturing this data more on form-based uh, applications where you can report on it? Um, what, what are you doing that's different than, than other claim companies, claim management yeah, softwares? It's a great question. I think it's a couple things. So one is about actually changing behavior, right? 
when you read a PDF, you learned a lot of things, you know, let's say it's a, you know, PDF from a, an attorney, right? You learned who the attorney is and, you know, maybe you learned something about the plaintiff and who their power of attorney is and what their age is. So you, you take all these learnings and part of it is about just doing literal data entry really seamlessly. So letting you as a claims manager or a TPA enter in those individual data points and change the behavior to start tracking those data points. Um, and then the other is about search and accessibility of the rest of that data. So when you upload a PDF, classifying it into the right place and allowing you to do a deep elastic search that will go through you know, the text of email files that you up upload and the text of PDFs that you upload to find the information that you're looking for. At the end of the day, our goal is about giving everybody involved in the claim accessibility to a single source of truth so that everyone who learns anything can put information in one place as a specific data point and everyone has access to that. Um, and that goes all the way down to first notice of loss, right? Instead of someone filling out you know, or calling or emailing you know, their broker or whoever they think their insurance company is to yeah. tell them a story and then have that person tell the underwriting company to get the policy and then the underwriting company, right? Like instead of that whole game of telephone, you know, fill out a first notice of loss form, ask them questions, that becomes an incident report that now everyone gets notified about and can see and add information to and kind of grow naturally. So out of all of this data and the artificial intelligence, what do you hope to gain or what do you think that you're going to be able to produce in the future, making all this data accessible? Yeah, good question. So there are two things on our roadmap. And again, I'll reiterate that doing these predictions, this artificial intelligence is at least a year out, maybe two years out okay. for, for us um, in terms of books of business, because to do those things well, you need to spend at least a year getting good quality data. Right, right. right. Um, but yeah, so in that, you know, future state, there are two things. One is setting reserves, predicting what a claim will cost. Um, you see this in the med mal space all the time where a claim there takes a long time. It might take, let's say, seven years, five, five years is average, I believe. And at the end of seven years, what often happens is they'll pay out an indemnity payment of a hundred grand and they'll pay 350 K to lawyers. And so if you're an insurance company, you're kicking yourself because you're like, man, if I knew I was going to pay that guy a hundred grand, I would have given him 200 grand sure. six years ago. Right. I would have yeah. saved a bunch of money. The person who was actually harmed would have gotten more money for their claim. The doctor wouldn't have had to spend all this time with a med mal case over their head. And that's an extreme case, but it really holds for everything in property and casualty. You know, I actually just took a lift and the driver was talking about how it took them six months to get, you know, money from their auto claim. Um, and, you know, that's, it's really because of this same process, right? It's, it's all very slow. So indemnity prediction is huge, right? If you can say with confidence, this is what your claim will cost, you can just settle the claim or pay out the claim for that amount. And you don't need to spend any additional costs figuring out the accuracy of that. Right. Right. Because that's what so much of the, the insurance space is. If you already know what you're going to pay in the future and you don't need to spend any money trying to figure out how much you should be paying. Smart. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And then I, I think this really spreads into 
every other part of the industry. You know, if you look at a lot of actuarial work is done to figure out what a claim is going to cost, you know, at incredibly high prices. And if you look at things like underwriting and risk profiles, you know, um, I talked about the credit space earlier. You know, if you apply for a loan on so many of these online credit, you know, lending club type companies, they have so much information and ask so many questions Mm -hmm. that they can just say, here's the risk, right? This is their interest rate. Give them a loan at this or don't give them a loan at all. Yeah. And I think it is very realistic to say that insurance could go that same way where you just say, here's the curve. This is exactly where they fall on it. You know, insure them or don't at this rate. Um, And I think that just gives everybody in the process more power. Um, There's, there's always going to be an advantage to being a human, right? Like you're never going to remove the human element from this, but it's about being more efficient and being able to have all this knowledge at your fingertips so that you can make choices. Right. I, I had a friend who, um, not too, a couple years ago fell and hurt her back. And, um, her husband was very interested in, well, what, what's that worth? You know, (laughs) what's the settlement going to be? And what you're basically saying is, is that that's all very predictive or it can be with good data. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and it doesn't just have to be somebody's back. It could be a roof. It could be a car. It could be, you know, I mean, obviously cars are relatively easy, but any number of different things. Yeah, absolutely. And we kind of already know this to be the case, right? Like by nature of being a human, even someone who's never looked at a claim before could read over, you know, an accord form and read over a description and say, ah, you know what? Like they're probably going to get paid out for that pretty well. Um, so if you just think about that at, at scale and at really, really high fidelity of data, it's, it's sort of an inevitability that we will be able to do this better. Sure. You know, I'm thinking about data and I'm thinking about a lot of things that surround that. And there's always the question of, of security, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about your company and the philosophy around keeping this data safe? Yeah, we are huge on companies need to own their own information, um, which we think doesn't exist in a lot. I've talked to a lot of folks who say, oh, I can't change my claims management software because they have all my data and, you know, I'll lose it if I change my software. And to me, as an engineer, I'm like, that's what? That's crazy. Like, that has to be illegal, right? Like, it's your data. They can't keep it locked up, but they do. Um, so on, on one thing from the data perspective, we allow all our customers at any point to export all of their data in a structured format and do with it what they will. Because it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to them. Um, and we, you know, in our contract, obviously, like, can use that data to do machine learning. But the other big piece of that is security. So everyone's data is stored separately. No one's data has ever made it accessible to anybody else. We're um, completely HIPAA compliant. We sign NDAs for all of our customer data um, so that your data is your data and it's siloed. Even in the, you know, for TPAs that might manage claims for a bunch of different companies, uh, we allow you to basically transition between those companies to manage those claims. But even then, the data itself for that company is completely siloed so that there could never be the opportunity for any crossover to happen or any exposure to happen. We're incredibly hyper about data. 
Um, we even have BAAs signed with Google, our cloud provider, um, and they meet something like eight to 10 different security, annual security audits every year. So I consider us truly at the, the forefront of data security, data pr- protection, and then also customer data access. So can we talk a little more about being a startup? Yeah. Um, what, I mean, that must be a, a very interesting experience. I think that most people in our audience who are outside of that community, you know, everybody hears stories. I mean, I've watched Silicon Valley on HBO, so I know exactly what goes on in startups by watching <laughs> that. And but exactly. I think you might think you're being facetious, but <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually yeah. right. So, so talk talk to us about being a startup in the insurance industry. It must be illuminating and interesting and challenging and everything else. But but tell us about being a startup. Yeah, I mean, so I was at IBM, which was a four hundred thousand person company. So you can imagine there's a, a pretty four hundred thousand. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of employees. That's a lot of people. Yeah, I might be running it. It might be, yeah, it might be three sixty-five or something. Oh, Um, I thought so. (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to double check that. Um, But a lot. The point is a lot more than two. (laughs) Um, So when you found a company and you go from, you know, three sixty-five to one or three sixty-five to two, um, you obviously get a lot more. So I think the advantage of of being a startup is that you get a really large impact and you get a really focused vision. There are a lot of people at large companies that go to work and they do their nine to five and they're not moving the needle. And when I say the needle, I don't necessarily mean the money needle. I mean like the needle for actual impact on, on what you're trying to do, right? Um, and that's just really like cannot be matched at a startup. Every single day, every minute of work that everyone here does actively impacts our customers. Like before I got on this call, I was on a call with a customer and just going over, you know, every, they said, oh, you know, like it would be great if these categories could be this. And, you know, like I tried to upload this file like this and you can really, really actively and quickly make massive change very quickly and move really fast. I think that's something that's really eye-opening to a lot of our customers is like one of our big selling points is we onboard all of your data in one week and we don't charge for that, for like implementation or onboarding, like so many of these large enterprise software companies do. And most folks don't believe us when we say that we're going to onboard all their data in a week, right? Because their last contract took a year and a half to onboard their data. And I think really you get those advantages when you're, a small company there's there's no waste there's no slowdown around things like that so you can deliver value to your customers really quickly and you can yeah get really specific feedback from your customers to give them what they actually want you know i think as you get bigger it's it's more and more like you get what you get right you're not like emailing ibm about their mainframe and saying hey you know It'd be great if this yeah. thing had wheels on it, right? Like you're not getting wheels. Like, and if they do say they're going to change something for you, it's going to cost you, you know, an insane amount of money and sure. you're not going to get it for two years. But when you're working with a startup, which is something I love, right? Um, you say, Hey, we need this thing. 
and you can get the thing in a week, right? Um, and yeah, I love that being a, a startup founder because I think it's foolish for any company to think that they know more about a space than their customers, right? Like right. you're building a software to solve their problems. So the more that you can learn about their problems, the better your software is going to be for everybody. And the speed at which you can do that is just unmatched in a startup. Yeah. And I think about, you know, being in a startup, your voice as being on the startup side, your voice is so powerful. You know, you, you speak and everyone listens as where whenever you're with a large company, sometimes your voice, you know, falls in, in, into the woods where not everybody can hear it. But if you have an idea, it's accepted or it's, it's at least discussed and you, you feel more powerful as a, as a employee, as a founder, uh, you can actually make a difference. You know, I, I had a friend one time who told me that they went to work for a startup company uh, and they decided that they were either going to go work for a startup company or go get their MBA, that they wanted to learn more about business. And uh, and they went and worked for the startup company versus their MBA. And he said it was a great opportunity that he got more knowledge on business practices by working for a startup company than he thought he would have with his MBA. What do, you, what do you think about that? I think that's absolutely the case because when you come to work for a startup, what you're, when you sign up to work for a big company, you're going in to give them work to get a paycheck, right? Yeah. And when you join a startup, you're joining it because you care about their vision. You care about the problem that they're trying to solve and you want to contribute to that solution, right? Because if, if you just wanted to get a paycheck, you would just go work for a big company. Um, so I think by nature of that, everybody is way more involved, right? Like, of course your voice gets heard because you care about what the founder and the CEO and the CTO all care about, right? Which is making your customers experience better. Um, like you wouldn't be there if you didn't care about the mission and the vision. Um, and kind of by the same token, since everyone is on that same goal, right? Of like our goal is to, make better claims management system systems, like make our customers' lives easier and faster. There are so many things that go into achieving that goal. Some of them business, some of them financial, some of them software engineering related, that when you have a company and a group of people that are vision-oriented and mission-oriented, it becomes less about the task that they're doing and more about doing whatever it takes to achieve the goal. So in that way, you get so much more exposure to business and to finances than you ever would at a normal company um, because, you know, it's, you're a team. Everyone's yeah, right. going after silos. this. Yeah, exactly. Like you weren't hired to do business. You were hired to help these customers have a better claims management experience. And that means you're kind of ready to pick up whatever torch needs to be carried. We uh, had an interview with Dan Burton, who is the CEO of DroneBase, if you're familiar. I'm not familiar. They're, they're a Y Combinator alumni. And um, we asked Dan, he also has a Harvard MBA, which is, you know, pretty, not a bad pedigree. Yeah. And, um, uh, and we said, you know, wow, you're a Harvard MBA, blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, so don't get mad, Dan. <laughs> but he basically said that, um, that is why Combinator experience or, you know, the startup experience was actually kind of more valuable than his Harvard MBA experience, right? 
that it was that it was that would it it meant more to yeah. him and it gave him more um uh background and understanding and everything else and i think that that's related directly to what you're talking about in in, in a startup i mean what y combinator does is they, they just kind of put the whole thing on steroids for you right yeah definitely it's it's a really great forcing function for progress. Um, mm -hmm. Like one of the best things you learn from this accelerator is that, like I mentioned, all that matters is improving the experience for your customers. Like, did you move the needle on your goal as a company? So that's, and, that's over and over and over again, what they're pounding into your head. Yes. Every, every single experience we, you do group office hours, right? Where you all sit, in a corner with these other companies and everyone goes around and you say, what'd you do the last two weeks? Right. And it, you know, within two weeks you have, you have good weeks and you have bad weeks. Right. And it, it's kind of this really strong forcing function of, you know, sometimes you'll sit down and say, Hey, you know, we didn't have a great week. You know, we didn't get these, these problems fixed that we wanted to get fixed. And that's, that's where we sit. And everyone else says, oh, you know, well, we solved all our problems. Like, everything's way better. And then you leave that meeting and you're like, oh, God, like never again. Like we're going two weeks from now, we're going to sit down. We're going to blow it out of the water. And then you sit down two weeks and you say like, you know, we solved this customer's problem. We yeah. solved this customer's problem. We like got a new customer and like, they're, you know, we're doing this for them. And everyone just looks at you like, wow, that's amazing. And I think when you get to a big company, you lose that drive, right? I'm like. Or you and, for? and the focus, and I mean, you know, we, we work for us, we work for a small company. I mean, we work for, a, we're a small business in our, in our little industry space, which is a little, just a little industry space where maybe a medium or larger, but, but we're a small business in terms of America. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that you bring up a really important point and they, and they're teaching you about a point and, and I hear it in your whole presentation and that is, you know, how are we adding value for the customer? How are we making this experience better for the customer? Customer, 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 customer. And I wonder, you know, out there in, in our audience, is that something that people hear? Uh, and is it something that you hear enough? And um, so I, I think, I think if you stay close to your customer, chances are you will succeed. There's other factors, of course, but what's bigger. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great point. I think startups live and die by that, right? Because what makes your company succeed as a startup is not really money in the door. You know, you, you, you get investment money that what makes your company succeed is building a good product. And the way you build a good product is by listening to your customers. Love that. And, and solving their problems. So startups you know, I encourage everybody, obviously, to, you know, hire and work with startups because I think you just can't be bang for your buck. You're going to get someone who's as passionate about solving your problems as you are at a price point that can't be beat and they'll work faster and more efficiently than any other option. And um, I, ju I just want to accentuate one thing that uh, uh, we had an interview with Alyssa Hunt, who's from QBE, very smart um, insurance executive. And uh, she's she works in vendor management, or has in the past extensively. And, um, and one of the things that she said is she, she 
goes around her organization and she asks people, what are your problems? And it's a very, I mean, it almost sounds trite and simple, but what are your problems? And that's, those are the things that she goes out and shops for as a, as a vendor manager, as a procurement person. That's what she shops for are the things or the products and services that solve people's problems inside of their organization. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic approach to management, especially once you get to a big company. I think executives tend to be, you know, not through any fault of their own, abstracted from where the real inefficiencies lie in their organization. So I'll, you know, when I call someone who's a potential customer, the person I really want to talk to is the claims manager, like who's actually handling claims. Even if it's a big company, they'll sometimes say like, oh, you know, like, Right. You know, if, if you're trying to sell claims management software, you got to talk to our, you know, CTO or our, our chief information officer. And, you know, I'm like, yes, you know, I, I do want to sell you claims management software and that's great. But I kind of first want to see if, if we're a fit, right? Like I want to talk to the person who's actually managing claims and hear like, okay, what do you like about your current process? Right? Like, what are you really fast at? You know, and often you'll find out, oh, you know, it, it used to take them two minutes to do this. Now it takes them 20 seconds and it should take them two seconds. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, they don't, they don't even know that it's, you know, the technology has existed to make that take two seconds or, you know, what do you really dislike? And they'll say, you know, anybody who works anywhere, you know, has no hesitations in telling you what they don't like about their job. Right. And sure they'll tell you, you know, this takes me forever. I have to do this thing three times. Um, and that's where the real value lies because right. then you can go to someone and say, Hey, look, like, you know, we're saving a hundred hours per claim. Right. Or, you know, we're like really f- fixing the things that you care about. Um, and that's the goal, you know? So, um, as we, as we, come to a close here let me ask you to uh, tell people how if they want to reach Cameron MacArthur how do they do that good question um, so our website is AIinsurance.io um, you can always reach out to me on my email address Cameron at AIinsurance.io um, and I will even give out my uh, personal number uh, if you want to call my my work number and talk to me about claims management, it's a 802-255-8990. Um, and on our website, we have a bunch of links where you can request a demo. And you know, if anyone wants to see the product or talk to me about claims management software, I'm all ears. Well, we appreciate you so much being on. You know, even before the call, I had an opportunity to visit with Cameron about some of the details of the claims. Uh, software itself and just a lot of exciting things happening here. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time and, uh, you know, we look forward to visiting with you on, on, on future episodes. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks. Sounds great. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been a blast. Really appreciate it. Very interesting podcast today. Interesting interview with a interesting young man. Don't you think? Yes. He, um, I think it's interesting how he, he thought he was going to go down a path. All of a sudden he had this, this moment where, um, you know, I can predict 
uh, information based on your data. And then he realized there was dirty data. And he thought, oh, I, I need to get the data clean. And he decided that's where he was going to start his company. Mm -hmm. I thought that was neat. Mm -hmm. Pivoting, right? Right. You know, the, one of the things that was interesting to me was um, I, I was thinking during the interview about the vastness of the InsureTech space today. Yeah. Um, you know, we found out about Cameron and set up an interview, but of all the different things and ideas and stuff that's going on in InsureTech, new ideas, new products. Here's just another one that, you know, I would have never imagined, but yet here it is part of this vast InsureTech world that is literally thousands of different companies doing all kinds of different things. Yeah, it is. And, you know, claim management systems is not one that you ever really thought about. You thought, oh, well, it's a it's a system. It's going to hold records and I'm going to be able to access the records and, you know, it'll be great. But claims management in InsureTech using AI to actually read the data, that's a whole nother twist on, right. on insure tech. It's a whole nother way to, to, to really make your data work for you. Right. His future state that he was talking about, super intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to predict the cost of claims. Uh, I think that you would be able to use the data and really uh, start working on the underwriting side based on yes. what you did in the past. And uh, heck you could, you could start bringing in some additional data sources from outside, just like he was saying, whenever you go to uh, online to get a, a loan, they already know so much about you. Mm -hmm. As soon as you start bringing all those additional data points into a software, you're going to have a lot of information to sort through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think that the final chapter of AI insurance has been written. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of road and a lot of roadmap in front of them that I think is really intriguing. Yeah, and I think that people, you know, who have invested with them have said, okay, I understand you're making a foundation right now, but I'm really excited about the 35th floor, <laughs> right? Or the or the 75th floor uh -huh. you're going to be building. Uh -huh. And uh, I see him, even uh -huh. in talking to him, he's a driven person yes. uh, who's a hard worker. Yes. And I, I, I'm excited about what he's going to be able to do with this product. Yes. And I know that, um, that uh, even a company like ours could use a product like his, yes? Yeah, I even, you know, during that interview, I was thinking we have a need uh, that would fit uh, that that would fit his company very, very nicely. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think a lot of companies do. There's not always one solution that works for everything, uh, for all of your needs. Uh, so a lot of times you have to have to bring in different softwares and this would be a great one to help you out with that. Well, we're real appreciative to Cameron, and we wish him all the best. I'm sure that we'll speak to him again and and uh, and see him when we're in Silicon Valley. And uh, uh, we'll see you all on our next episode. What do we say at the end of our episodes, Lee? Uh, we ask them to 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 comment and like our podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good, good. Uh, we also say goodbye everybody goodbye everybody